Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. This is episode 32. As always, Ryan and Corey joining you here for another episode. However, if you're new to the podcast, my name is Ryan Bevilacqua. This is Corey Jacobson. We we're bringing you the juice every week. Just get in, get involved. The bad boys of fire back. <laughs> two, two, two weeks strong. The bad boys. Of fire. Oh my god! I don't know. Uh, well, today we have on financial education specialist. Ashley M. Fox on our show today. She is a financial education specialist, owner of Empify, and creator of the Wealth Builders Community app. She also is a contributor to Forbes. I would say this is one of, it's almost like a free financial education course course in in one hour. (laughs) It's absolutely amazing. She goes into stocks, real estate trusts, what else we talked about today? Just her financial, like just her finance philosophy and framing your mindset around the fact that you deserve money. And that was like the biggest thing for me. She, she said that a lot of people have a problem with not thinking that they, they deserve money, not having the right mindset to, to have money come to them. She said when she stopped thinking about why she didn't have money, that's when she got money. It was cool. like, what? she completely shifted her mindset and it kind of helped her take off her life in the financial world. But I'll also say she is doing the world a huge solid by teaching kids the things that they're not learning in school. And that's kind of her whole mantra and, and reason behind the Empify and the Wealth Builders community. She wants to give back and train pe- train kids to actually have the knowledge that they need for when they become an adult and how to, how to manage their money. And finance. everyone talks about changing the education system. She's kind of actually doing it. Like I always say, well, what did we not learn in school? She's doing that. And people are going to learn more about it in the episode. I mean, uh, what are the other things that we talked about? She... I got a joke for you. Oh, how about that? All right. Who, what concert is titled the 45 cent concert? What artist would be playing? 50 minus five, 50 cent and five cent minus five cent. 50 cent feature Nickelback. Oh, garbage oh you got it that was actually kind of good yeah all right let's bring in ashley for this week's episode of the weekly juice well ashley welcome (laughs) to the weekly juice we're honored to have you on um we're very excited for today's episode so thanks for being here thanks for having me absolutely so if you could just kind of give a brief introduction of yourself where you're from what you do and how you got into essentially finance Yes. So my name is Ashley Fox. I am the CEO and founder of Empify. Um, before I go into Empify, I think it's best to tell you kind of how I got started because I didn't, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I went to Howard University with this idea that I was going to be this profound African-American woman working on Wall Street. I like math. I like business. So I figured I made major in the subject of money. I wanted to make a lot of it. So I majored in finance. Um, landed my dream career working on Wall Street. So while I was at Howard, I had tons of internships realized how much Wall Street paid, graduated, and I landed my dream career working um, in New York City. So ultimately, my job was to manage the money for millionaires and billionaires. So if you had at least $25 million or more, um, my team's job was to help manage your money. So essentially, I kept the rich people rich. So I saw where they traveled, where they invested their money, how, what, what they didn't pay in taxes. Like, I saw everything. Um, and I think about eight months in, 
my desire to be on Wall Street, I didn't really have that desire to stay because I got to a point where I felt like I deserved to be like a client. I hit, hit a ceiling, great opportunity, but I didn't also know what was next for me because I always wanted to be in corporate America. But I realized staying at my job for 10, 20 years, I would never be in a position our clients were in. And so I realized for something we use every single day of our life, it's not taught to us every day. You shouldn't have to go major in finance, work on Wall Street to know how to manage, save, and invest money. And so I realized that was what I wanted to give the world. I knew why, didn't really know what, and I didn't really know how. So I ended up leaving my job um, July of 2013 with this intent to be able to give the world financial education. And so I would say a couple months after I left, I created the word Empify because I didn't really just want to be the finance girl. I felt like I was a career coach. I was a life coach. I was a shoulder to cry on. I was a teacher. And so I wanted to create something. And so Empify is the word empower and modify merge together because our ultimate goal is to shift the mindset that we have around money. It's not that wealthy people have a lot of money because they were given all of these opportunities, but they have a different mindset and how they perceive wealth in their life and their family. And I wanted to bring that mindset to my community. Um, ended up becoming a financial advisor, targeting low to moderate income people. Um, in the midst of that, nobody tells you that when you start a business, you don't make money every two weeks. So I ended up losing everything. I got evicted from my New York apartment, maxed out credit cards, negative bank accounts. So that's actually how I ended up back in Philadelphia. Um, I slept in my parents' house for two years, building Empify. Um, got to a point where I was winning all these awards, had this nice, fancy office here in Philadelphia. But I realized that a lot of adults um, we're mentally and financially broken, and it's really hard to make an adult change if they're not ready to, right? And I realized, how can I prevent a, an adult from being financially educated if I teach a child? And so that's when the part of Empify where we started focusing on children. So I would say maybe about 2016, 17, um, that's when I started to create financial education programs in the school system. So if we fast forward today, um, Empify is both a, a platform for both adults and children. So we now have our Wealth Builder Community app, so now we're at tech firm. Um, literally launched that within the past few months. And so just imagine the Netflix of finance in the palm of your hand. I think you can't just go to a bank and if you don't come from money, you don't know where to get those tools and resources if you have a desire to obtain wealth. And so we create culturally relevant, simple to understand tools and resources for adults. And we also do the same thing for children. So we have programs in Philadelphia, New York, Atlanta, and we teach middle school, high school, and college students how to do the things that we wish somebody would have taught us before we made the mistake so that they can grow up to, to build the wealth that they aspire to, to have and to live the life they desire without feeling like because I didn't grow up with money, because nobody's teaching me about money, they're now put in a position to obtain whatever it is their heart desires. So I ended up becoming a, an entrepreneur um, because my heart just led me into this. I actually always wanted to be a teacher. I just never thought teachers made money. And then I wanted to major in psychology, but in order to make Wall Street money, um, in psychology, you needed at least a master's or a doctorate. So now I think I'm a mix of both finance, psychology, and being a teacher, except now I run the business. That's great. It's funny. I, just listening to you talk, I can tell that you're a self-starter and like you're really, really passionate about what you do. I'm wondering if you had a mindset shift or there was a per- certain point because you're, you clearly are successful. You went to Howard, you made yourself to Wall Street, you made your way to Wall Street. Was there a a defining moment for you while you're working on Wall Street that you were like, this is not going to be the way that I want to continue the next 10 years? You said that that happened, but I'm curious if there was a light bulb that went off. So there were two light bulbs. A quick one was I got to a point where I was looking in individuals' accounts and if they had like three, four, five million dollars, my mind was trained to see that that it wasn't a lot of money. And then making, having $70,000 of a fee for a mutual fund which was what my starting salary was when I graduated, 
that looked like pennies to me. And so my mind was trained to think that a couple million wasn't a lot. So that was the first thing. But the real defining one, this is really interesting. I remember I was, so I used to work on, on, on Park Avenue. So our headquarters in that 47th Park, I worked at J.P. Morgan. And I overlooked Park Avenue. We were, I was on the 27th floor. And one day I was looking out the window. I was on the phone with one of my really good friends. And he was like, look out the window and look down. So I'm seeing all these people walking around. And he was like, how do you feel? And I was like, oh, honestly, I feel trapped. And he was like, okay, now I want you to envision that this entire building is yours. This entire floor is empty. It's all yours. How do you now feel? And I was like, I feel on top of the world. And that did something really impactful to me. So I like, literally I had went and took a break. I walked outside. And so I came back and I did the same exercise with one of my colleagues. And I'm like, all right, look out the window. He's like, okay. And I'm like, how do you feel? And he was like, I feel regular. And I'm like, no, really look out the window. How do you feel? He's like, I feel regular. And that's when I realized that I was just different. That's when I realized I didn't want to service people who had a lot of money. I wanted to be the woman who had the money. And I couldn't, I, w- I wanted to pick your brain on how you built your wealth versus showing you how to keep your money. And so at that point, I realized that I was just different from everybody um, and that I made myself like Wall Street. I made myself learn finance because I felt like having a lot of money, wearing nice clothes is what defined me as a person. And I think as I transitioned into an entrepreneur, when I didn't have anything, all I had was this idea and, and I didn't know who I was, so I had to redefine who I was when I had nothing. And so I realized growing up, things validated Ashley Marie Fox. And then when you don't have things, it's now figuring out who you are and what you're capable of. If you don't have that good job, if you don't have that great resume, who are you and who you ultimately want to be? So I think the mentality should happen when I became an entrepreneur, but realizing that I was so much more than what I painted Wall Street to be. A great experience. Like I think it's, it's equipped me to be an entrepreneur for sure. But I felt like I was here for so much more. And again, when you're also working at a job, yeah, you're making six figures, but your clients are billionaires and they own 14s and they own all the stores you shop at and you know their kids' names, their trust funds. It, I literally was like their asset manager and I worked with a team of people and it was like, well, what is it like for Ashley's kids to have trust funds? What does it look like for Ashley to have her house in the Hamptons down in Palm Beach for Ashley to have her yacht? Why can't I do it if they can? And when you're literally around that for three years, it starts to become a part of who you are. And instead of it, make it instead of it discouraging me it made me realize like i can do this too so i think that's incredible and i think a lot of people might feel that way in their current um w2 jobs and thinking like wow what if 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 you manage a a book of business of people that are spending x amount of money that's high high dollars compared to what a regular person may see on a daily basis they're like i want that and i and i think i deserve that and i can be that so we have you here at this point and you realize like this is what i want what did you do to take steps to get to this point that you're currently moving towards now to be that entrepreneur and that six figure plus maker? Um, so I think the first thing is I never was chasing money. I think when I worked on wall street, I was chasing money. And when you chase money, you're always going to find somebody that has more of it. So ultimately you're never going to be happy. And I was that person. I think I stopped chasing money and I focused on what made me feel good. Right. Like I remember telling my team when I was working on Wall Street, I wanted to help people fix their credit. I wanted to help them invest. And they were just looking at me like I was crazy, crazy. I actually do exactly what I was telling them I wanted to do. (laughs) But it was like, that's what brought me joy. Not this painted picture of what my parents told me was a good job. Not what society said, oh, you're making six figures. I work on Wall Street. It's like, that's not who you are. And I think you need to accept that. And so I think because I knew I was chasing happiness and joy versus a dollar sign. 
and ultimately like even bringing programs to the school system that's not normal like everyone wants to learn financial education but nobody wants to teach financial education especially to an underserved community because when you think money you think people with money right and so for me it was like no i just have to teach kids i was literally teaching i also did a lot of stuff for free in the beginning so when i was when i started teaching children I was sitting in classrooms studying teachers. I would go literally teaching six classes for a whole year just to learn how how kids were learning and what they were doing in middle school and high school to then put myself in a position to show people I'm actually good at what I do. But it wasn't because I was looking for a check. It was because I actually believed that I could make a difference. And that's ultimately what I was chasing. And so I let go of this idea of having money. And I realized that I just wanted to give people all that was inside of me because for some odd reason, I feel like you can't get what I give anywhere in the world. And I know you need it, but you don't know that I exist. And it's my job to put what is in my heart, what is in my mind and put it out there in the world so that they realize, hey, I actually can do it. I want to do it. And they may not also have seen what I've seen. That's the other thing, too. I think what I saw is what made it possible. Like, I know what a billionaire looks like. I've had conversations with billionaires. I've dug in their accounts. I know how they manage money. I know what their entire team looks like to manage their money. So, for me, it was tangible. So I saw wealth. I was around wealth. So even when I hit rock bottom, I knew that was a temporary situation. Granted, it was very hard, but at the same time, I knew what was possible because I was literally doing it for a living. And so I think putting yourself in a position where it makes you uncomfortable, you're striving for something more, but my belief grew stronger as Ashley believed in Ashley more. And so the more I believed in myself, the more results I was able to get. Um, but again, I was also able to hold on to this picture because I saw what true wealth looked like in America. Um, and then interesting, I actually saw what wealth did not look like in America because I started to work with low income people. I started to be in the public school system and it was a clear like distinction of a mindset shift, but also an economic shift too. So I saw what was possible first before I saw the people who thought it wasn't possible. And so because, and so now the people who don't think it's possible I'm kind of their light and their voice of reason to show them, hey, I saw this. I can be this. You can be this. And these are the tools and resources you need to get there. So you clearly have a passion for this. And it seems like throughout hearing you speak and, and doing a little research that you view investing early and teaching kids how to invest and, and manage money is extremely important. I'm wondering if you can dive into generational wealth and why you view that as a gift and how someone can give that as a gift. Um, so when you think of rich, it's having a lot of money right now. When you think of wealth, it's having money generation after generation after generation, right? And the one of the biggest things that wealthy people think about, they, think, they don't just think about today, they worry about tomorrow. They wanna make sure their life is greater later, right? It's more of a legacy creation versus let me look good right now. Um, but when it comes to, to like, you also have to ask yourself like, did you grow up with money? If you didn't grow up with money, how long is this going to be a cycle of generational poverty, generational debt? Like, if it matters that much to you, then it's a then there's no plan B. It has to start with me at this point. And that mental shift is what makes you go after anything, right? No matter what, right? But I also think as adults, we think because our money's not perfect that we aren't worth teaching, right? And I think, hey, I took out student loans. Like, I was the first person in my immediate family to go to college. I took out student loans. I'm paying Sally Mae back because my parents didn't know. Am I mad about it? Cool, but they did the best that they could, right? But because I know what I wish my parents would have done, it is now my job 
to do that for my family. So I don't have any children, but I have a three-year-old niece and my niece will never take out student loans, right? It's my job to put her in a position if in fact we want to fix the wealth gap in America. If in fact we want to be wealthy, because it sounds good to say you want to be a millionaire. It sounds good to say that the system is messed up, but it's also something different if you actually take action and not worry about the outside world, but just focus on what's going on at home. And so I think getting yourself to a point where you made the commitment and it doesn't matter if it's $10 a month, if it's $50 a month, if you can consistently spend money every month, you can consistently invest money every single month. And I think the problem is we place value on things and making other billionaires rich by giving them our money. And granted, I love to spend money too, but this billionaire exists because we are the consumer. And it's like, hey, what if in fact the companies I'm loyal to, companies I give my time, money, and energy to, what if in fact I could own that business? And most people think when you think of investing, you need a lot of money, it's very complicated, but in all actuality, it costs a lot less to own Apple stock than it does to get the new iPhone. It costs a lot less to own Nike stock than it does to own a pair of Jordans, right? But we don't know that. But it's also showing people, hey, if you're giving your money to these companies, these companies have been around for years, they make billions of dollars, and they're consistently growing through a pandemic. And we are the reason that they're making money. So how can I own this business? And I think the true way to build wealth, to build wealth in America is to either create your own idea or invest in somebody else's idea. Like you can't spend your way there. You can't save your way there. You definitely can't work your way to wealth because we know a lot of people that work really hard that are not wealthy. So this preconceived condition that we have that that is how you're supposed, you know, you go to school to get a job and you get a job to pay for school. Like that's the system, right? But again, we have to unlearn what was taught because that's not how wealthy people think, right? And so I think looking and making a list of like, okay, who am I giving my money to? Who am I giving my time to? And just think literally the first 15 minutes of your day when you wake up, you touch at least five to six billion dollar businesses from the soap that you use to the phone that you use to the internet that you're on, the social media that you use. These are billion dollar businesses. And the majority of them are publicly traded companies. And when they're publicly traded, you can own stock in these companies. And when you really find out how much it costs to own one piece of a company, just one, if you spend less, you spend, you spend more money going to Miami or going to a bar or taking somebody out on a date. Like, and, and again, you don't have to start big. You just have to be consistent. Wealth is not built by a dollar amount. It's built by a habit. So you can build wealth consistently. And if you have to $5 your way to a million, then so be it. But I can guarantee if you don't do anything, then you won't get to where you say you want to be if you really want to get there. And it's that big of a deal to you. One of the things that I really liked about what you said is uh, talking about the mindset shift. And the reason why I love it so much is because when we talk about financial independence to people, we realize that when we talk to somebody about financial independence, who's in their mid thirties, it's, it hits them like a ton of bricks and they've, it's like something that they've never heard before for the most part. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I think it's unique that you teach this to children because that's where when you're a child and if you have a certain way that your parents treated money, how do you think you're going to grow up and treat money? Right. You're going to do exactly what they did. So for you to teach kids the way to think about money in the beginning, you're really, really setting them up for success. I, I, I kind of want you to dive into maybe some tactics that you might use high level tactics, I guess with, I don't even know how young you start. Like if you could just give me an example of what some of the things you do with, with kids to create that mindset, because when I learned about financial independence, I was 24. Mm -hmm. I made the shift like with the snap of a finger, but I was young enough that I didn't have even the habits that 30 and 40 and 50 year olds might. Right. Um, so I think when it comes to we, so I can teach any 
any kid. Now it's, it's different. We, when we, we're learning that real quick. It's different when you bring a group of kids together because being in a classroom, like when I first started, I started with fourth and sixth graders and I realized like fourth grade, it's, a, it's, it's different. Sixth graders are a little bit more mature, right? So we start with our programs at sixth, sixth grade, but I taught eight-year-olds how to invest. But I think as an adult, if you want to teach a child, you got to take yourself out the picture and think about what that child spends all their time and energy doing, right? Because we learn using textbooks. Kids don't like textbooks. I don't care what the school system provides. They're on, they would rather use their phone than read a textbook. Growing up, I didn't have a, a cell phone. Like, I, I mean, you know, like we weren't able to get on the internet. We played snake on a Nokia. Like that's what I grew <laughs> up with, right? So, Game so boy. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing you have to realize. Okay, cool. In order to educate a child into something they're already not interested in, let alone something they know, it has to be connected to them, right? So like, for example, um, if I go to a classroom, like one of the things that I used to just start, it's like, okay, if Cardi B was a stop, would you buy her? And so literally, like, we would argue back and forth. And like, they would be like, well, this was literally when Cardi B, like her first Bodak Yellow song came out, right? And I had a school, I was teaching a school in the Bronx. So it was like, you know, that's- they, that's Yeah, that's, that's the home. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so they're like, I was like, would you, if Cardi B was a stop, would you invest in her? And the kids would be like, yes, absolutely. And I'm like, okay, why? Like, cause she's popping. I said, okay, so is she a long-term investment or a short-term investment? So then one kid's like, she's long-term. And then they're like, no, she's short-term. But then the other kid's like, well, she's about to have a baby um, by offset, so she might turn it into a TV show like the Kardashians, and she might get out of it. So literally, I'm training them to think like an investor. But we just talked about Cardi B, but that's the same thing. If Apple was a stock, would you own Apple? Yes or no? Are they long-term or are they short-term? Why? It's just that. So now the conversation is around something that, they know, so it's like, okay, cool. Let's talk about uh, Facebook. Well, let's talk about Instagram because most kids don't know Facebook owns Instagram. It's like, how does Facebook, how does Instagram make money? So they keep telling me all these ways. It's like, no, when you don't pay for a product, you are the product. And I explain to them, so it's like, okay, how much did it cost to own Facebook? Like, and then I'll, and then they'll think of all these billion dollar numbers. And then I'll tell them to Google the stock price. Like, if you want to own one piece of Facebook, that's how much it costs. They're like, really? Then it's just like, but then what it does, like, well, how much does it cost to own Nike? Well, can I own Roblox? Can I, and it's, but in order to do it, you have to know what kids are doing. Like, you got to know the dances. You got to know what they're reading. Like, kids love Roblox. They love Fortnite. Like, you have to connect the, the knowledge with what they're doing because then you have their attention. And then, and that, and then the dots connect. And then I remember like one kid was just like, oh yeah, well, this is kind of like, well, 21 Savage, he does this. And it's like, you got it. Like, and, and, and then you connect the company piece to it. Like, hey, well, where are you spending your money? Like, well, you think I can own a corner store? Well, let's talk about it. Like, well, some companies are private. Some companies are public. Usually corner stores are owned by family-owned businesses. But you're right. You give them your money all the time. But do you think that they make billions of dollars like a Facebook does? And it's literally getting them into to that conversation. But I think schools don't teach you how to think. They teach you how to do. You go to work. You follow instruction. You're not taught, like being an entrepreneur is one of the most challenging things, especially when I was uh, two, three years into the business. I used to get mad, like, why did I pay all this money to go to college when it's so many things I just don't know? But if you think about it, in the business, there is no rule book. Like, there is no syllabus that you follow. There is no teacher that you can call. There's no grade that you get. Your goals, your dreams, and your alignment and your mistakes are what guide you through. And sometimes if you keep failing the class, you've got to keep taking it over. How many people are willing to just keep failing and keep going, knowing that one day that they're going to pass? You're not wired that way in the school system. And considering you spend 
tons of years in school with the same mentality, you're not trained to think like an entrepreneur. And I just think the school system doesn't allow kids to think. Let a child choose if they want to run a business or not. Don't go tell a child because mommy and daddy had a job that they got to have a job. Just like with wealthy people, if you grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, you're probably going to want to be an entrepreneur, like, or you'll be, or you'll work in the family business, or at least you're given the option to decide. If you're not around that, you don't know what's possible. And I think when, and kids are lazy, but the school system makes you lazy. So it's literally like, you, you got to bring that out the best out of a child, but you can't do it teaching a kid what you want them to learn. You got to talk to them at the language that they understand. So it's like little things like, I intentionally wear a pair of joys to go to school. Like I know the hot sneakers that are coming out. That's a part of our uniform because that's a conversation starter. They, kids always ask me, what kind of car do you drive? Well, let's talk about why our car is a depreciating asset. I drive a nice car, but why does that matter? Like, you know, like, and so really exposing them to things that they need to know that they don't know, but you got to start. It's kind of like giving somebody sugar before you give them medicine. If you give them medicine, nobody wants medicine, but we'd rather have sugar. But with the sugar, I can get you to, to take the medicine because I've eased my way into your life. And it's more, there's more of a connection that way. Cool. I think what I'm hearing, the underlying theme is like you're promoting change and hope at a young age. And it's incredible. Like a lot of people probably grow up and, and kind of feel like they're helpless in a way, right? Like I wish I learned this back in, back in the day. If you were teaching my kid this, this stuff, I'd be thrilled because you're training their mind to think a different way over long term. And then when you put the older they get, you can put different information in front of them and they can absorb it in a different way and creatively and, and hopefully become an entrepreneur if that's something they want to do and, and connect the dots on their own. Right. My question to you is because a lot of these kids probably think the more money they make, the better off they'll be in life. In your opinion, why isn't making more money going to fix your money problems? Um, okay. okay. This is, this the, I wanted to ask the same question. So I'm glad we, we got so, to it. All right. So, all right. So I believe in like karma or the golden rule or just whatever you think about, you bring about. So there, there's a point where I want more money. I want more money. Why do most people want more money? Are you asking? Cause I, yeah. I'm all right. This is good. I wanted a trivia question. Why okay. do most people want more money? Uh, because they don't know where true happiness comes from. I think that's or, to solve so, a problem. So, so you're a little, you're a little advanced. Oh. Think about why do I, why do people want better jobs? Why do they, why, what do they, why do they want more money? Like why? Like, to buy the things want? that they want. They think that they think hold value. Okay. Keep going. Mm. Why do you guys want more money? What's wrong with the money you have? Stability you and, oh, I want more money to have freedom to do the things I want to do when I want to do it. More time. So you don't, so you don't have money for freedom right now? Not, an, uh, not enough. <laughs> all right. So, so you're basically saying right now what you have is not enough, which is why you want more. Yes. So your desire to attain more is because you don't have. So you're coming from a place of lack. I'm not good enough with what I have. So my intent to make more is because I don't have. The energy you're putting out is I don't have. So you're never going to have until you are okay with who you are at this moment. I feel like the, 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 the time that I literally went from making a couple grand a month to having a six-figure month was when I never chased money because I didn't need money. I was literally, I, want, I wanted to bring value to the world. I wasn't worried about, oh my God, I don't have money. You know when I, when, when I had money problems, when I kept thinking about, I didn't have money. I don't have money for bills. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my money again. All of these things were coming from a place of lack. 
So we're all, this, this thing about it, if you always think about bills, how do you have the capacity to make more money if all you're thinking about is what you don't have? All your right? energy is going, to, going right. to one area. What you don't have, right? How about I'm okay with what I have, I'm grateful for what I have, and more is going to come. I would honestly say, and like I, nobody really knows this, I started to make more money when I started to pay people early. Because I was, I was one of those people, like I knew every bill collector that was calling. I was the person that would pay you on the 29th day because I knew on the 30th day you would ding my credit. Like I, I literally memorized everybody's number, but I was holding money because I suffer from PTSD because I've been in, in places where I've had no money. Seven years later, still afraid. Oh my God, like I have all this money. I just don't want to lose it because there've been times where I've never had money. There are people who grew up like that. There are people who don't feel like they're worthy of money because they never had money. They're afraid to let go of money because they don't have money or they overly spend money because they never had money either. So they're buying because they never had and they feel like they deserve, right? So we're literally repeating the same cycle, like you said, from how we grew up. But when I started to pay people early and I let go of money because I knew more was coming, that's when people started to pay me early. That's when random opportunities will come because I was, I was giving away money and paying bills because I knew I was worthy of having more. I was deserving of having more. And I think when there's a mental shift that I have enough, it is okay. And I believe more is coming. You don't, you don't attract what you want. You attract who you are. And, and you're only going to manifest more of your reality if you let, but you have to let go of your reality and explore more possibilities. So like things like I do, so like I want to move to New York and the apartment that I want to live in New York is like five wow. times my rent where I live right now. But me moving to New York is more of a, a mental investment. Like I feel like I built my business in Philly. I want to scale my business in New York. Like that's the energy I want to be around. But what I do now is every time I go to New York, I literally will drive where by, where the apartment buildings are. And I would just sit out there and just stare at the buildings. I will literally schedule viewing to see the apartment because when I walked through it, it felt uncomfortable. I felt like, why am I like, it was so expensive for me. Oh my God, what if I get this apartment? And then the next two, the next two weeks, my business falls apart. And it's like, but where are these thoughts coming from? Because they didn't happen yet. They're coming from past experiences. But I will I will intentionally put myself in spaces to remind me of what I want. I'll sit there and visualize and envision myself signing my lease. Like now what I do is like I literally envision signing my lease, laying on the floor and planning out my my uh housewarming party for this apartment in New York. Now it is uncomfortable, but I feel like when, when it becomes a part of who I am, that's when I get the apartment. When that when I stop telling people that rent is expensive, that's when it won't be expensive. Because we, as a kid, $10 was a lot of money. Now as an adult, what is $10? There were points in my life where $1,000 was a lot of money. I can't do anything with $1,000 right now. So it's really all about our perception. Got it. Uh, before we, I do want to get into stocks and I know that's going to be a, a pretty big rabbit hole here. So, but really quick, I think people are saying, okay, at one point, Ashley came, did not have a ton of money. She trained herself to learn finance. And then she started managing multi-million dollar portfolios, potentially billion dollar. Now she goes, gives back and teaches kids at a young age. I want to know how you started your business. I don't know. Not a super long story, just, but like, I'm thinking if I'm the audience member and I'm like, wow, she's incredible. This is amazing. Like, how do I get started? How do I map it out? What do I do? Um, so Okay, so when I quit, I think, again, I didn't know what I knew why. So I knew who I wanted to be and didn't always know how I was going to do it or what it was going to be. So like, for example, we now have an app, right? We had an online community because the company reached out. We, we started to partner with them. We had an online community. Once I started to see how fast we were growing, I realized I can't build what I'm trying to do for the world on a platform. 
and I need an app. Now, how much does an app cost? I have no idea. How to make an app? How to? I don't know any of that. So literally, so one of the things I always have, I've been doing this for years, I have this thing where I wake up every morning, I meditate, um, I, I meditate, work out, read, and I typically do two or three of those every, if I do three, I'm phenomenal that day. But I typically always try to do like two or three. But every day I go into the mirror and I say seven things that I'm proud of myself for, seven things that I forgive myself for, and seven things I'm committed to. And then after that, I just go, I am crazy. So like, I am the owner of an app. I am a billionaire. I am, and I just literally, and every day I would say it, and you get to a point where you trick yourself into believing what it is you're saying. And then the next thing you know, we have an app. Now, but, but when the app came, it was normal. We made the money in like five minutes. It just was, but again, I became the person I kept telling myself I wanted to be, but I didn't fully believe. I think we have these desires, but we don't have a belief. And it's just like, hey, I want to be a millionaire, but I hate my job, but I have debt, but I can't invest. It's like you're hitting a roadblock every time you say you want something because your belief is more dominant than your desire to have it. And so I got to a point where my belief was stronger than my desire. And that's when I was able to, that's when it was easy for me to make money. That's when it was easy. So now like my biggest goal now is to make a quarter million dollars in a quarter. Like still frightens me a little bit, but I'm close to like being able to do it. Not just money wise, but mentality wise. Like it doesn't frighten my team, but for me, it's just like, okay, when you get 250, what are you about to do with it? You want to make sure you allocate it right way. Who are you going to hire? All these things are literally taking my energy away from obtaining what it is I desire. So I think the biggest thing is you got to trick yourself into believing in yourself first. You could try to write it all down. I never had a business plan before. It was just like, this is going to work and I don't have a choice. And if that means I got to lose my apartment, I got to lose everything. That's why you don't do things for money. Because when the money runs out, you're not about to go do it again. Like for me, it was like, no, this has to work. Like I'm the only person in the world that can solve this problem. Nobody can do it. They don't try to do it. It won't work. I have no choice. There was no plan B for me. This had to work and I'm not going to stop. Now it was hard. I've also been through a lot of therapy. I read a lot of books too. Like I meditate, like there's a lot of things that I did, but I think the biggest thing is it's not about the what or the, or the, or the how it's literally growing you because your bank account grows when you grow. So if you spend time working on you, pay attention to what scares you, figure out where those fears come from, be cognizant of who you're around and literally work on you. And if that means go to therapy, which I thoroughly recommend for everybody, um, because we have to unlearn what society has caused us to be conditioned around. Like, like you said, how you treat your money is a mere reflection of how you were raised. I have a mom who believes in abundance. I have a father who is the most pessimistic person in the world who thinks you should get a government job and just be safe, right? But he's he's 60, right? So I respect it, but I'm also that free will, quit my job, figure it out. I want to travel the world and work from anywhere. That's not normal for our parents, right? But his thoughts of I can't do it are still sometimes in my mind. And it's like, hey, those are his thoughts. His thoughts, he put those in my mind. That's not my story. I got to unlearn things that I grew up on and, and, and start to rewrite my own narrative. And that takes personal work that that you don't just read in a book, that, that you just don't learn in school. You, a business plan can't help you work on you. You got to work on you. Those nights, I mean, granted, I cry. I used to cry all the time. Like, I've been through the ups and downs, but it's more like, a, what are you afraid of? Why don't you think you can do this? And where in the world did somebody tell you you couldn't? And typically that comes from your childhood. And so I think having those, having that understanding of you and the development of you, you then become a better CEO. You then become a, a better parent, a better spouse, a better partner. But I think the working on me has never stopped, especially when I got to points where like I had breaking points. Like I, I would have like anxiety attacks. I would cry. Like 
But I, 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 that also came from me being an overachiever because I grew up in a household where I, my dad, it was never good enough. It was never good enough. So I got all A's, but the all A's didn't matter. I had to get the best, go to the best school. I got, I cried when I got my first B in college. I had that, not just one internship. I had that four internships. I had had the best job. And it got to a point where it was like, I'm tired of being great because none of this matters to me. But it's like, where did that come from? Because your whole life, you felt like you had to prove something to your dad. You had to prove something to your family. And then I let go of the fact, I don't got to prove anything to anybody. And then it was just like, well, what makes you happy? And it's like, well, maybe traveling the world for 30 days, that does make me happy. Like, and if it doesn't, who cares? I'll just try to figure it out. But I think our family and society doesn't nurture the supporting of being free with who you are and doing what you want. And that comes from personal growth. I think it's, I'm hearing a lot of different things here, but they're all kind of consolidated into one thing. You're a self-starter. You basically are saying people need to take control of their own lives. I'm, th- I'm thinking if I'm driving my car, listening to this podcast, and I'm hearing you talk a mile a minute about, you're so passionate about this, but you're a self-starter. You're, I would be overwhelmed and be like, oh my God, I don't think I can, I don't know if I have the energy that this woman has. Right. And that's okay. There's, right. You know that's okay. There's only a certain amount of time in a day, right? And people always say, I don't have enough time to do this. I don't know. I, I have to go take care of the kids. I have to make food when I get home. I have work. I have a nine to five. I have to put food on the table. What do you say to those people? Okay. About taking control of their lives. Well, real quick, to go off of what Rai's saying, I think that this is a philosophical discussion in a way of what you're talking about. But And a lot of people who are super wealthy or super successful always say it starts with your mind. But I will say to the people that are naysayers, why don't you just try it? Because if you do the mindset shift, it can only manifest good things. And I think that a lot of people get stuck that, uh, in what you're saying and the feeling that they don't deserve. But if you really put your mind there first, I mean, it happened kind of to us in a little bit. And we're like, we, we feel like we're at level two. But it, it, even in that sense, you have to see it before it can come. And I think that a lot of people get stuck like feeling that they don't deserve it. I'll let you answer the question, but okay. I wanted to add that in there. So, so typically when I get that question, I'll, all right, I'll do it with you guys. So tell me what they're telling themselves. I can't do it. There's not enough time. I got to take care of my kids. Let me guess, you got bills. You got a lot of responsibilities, right? Okay, cool. If I told you that in the next week that you had to go out, start your business, create your EIN, go get your first customer, and go do the thing that you don't have time for, whatever it is, right? And if you did that in the next seven days, you meet me in Philly, and I'll give you a million dollars, but you got to do it. You got seven days to do it. That thing that, that you're frustrated, that you can't do, time doesn't give you, you know, you'll have time, everything. And I said, if you go do it, you meet me in Philly and I'll give you a million dollars. What are you going to do? I'll see you in Philly. Okay. <laughs> I think everyone's so, going to do it because they're going to so, find, they're going to prioritize, right. right? So, so then I ask you, what are you missing the skill or the will? Because you know, you can't tell me you can't do it. You don't have the time. You don't have the will to do it. And will comes from the inside, not from the outside. Because if I told you, if you can go do it for a million dollars, why don't you think you're worth more than that? And you can do it because you can obtain more. Like, yeah, I would definitely do it if you gave me a million dollars. But in all honesty, and, this is, and I think this does take work. If you gave me a hundred million dollars right now, I promise you I'll wake up and do the same thing I do every day. Like you, you can pay me to not do what I do. That's how I know I love what I do. And not everybody's there. I've, I've, I've realized that. 
but it does take some time to really think about what brings you joy. What would you do if money wasn't an issue? If I was giving you $20,000 a month, what would you do if you could create your career? Does that mean travel the world? Cool. There's a business that can get you to travel the world and you can get paid to do it. And if you think there isn't, that's a limitation you put on yourself. And I think that is the mental shift because we can come up with all the excuses as to why something won't work. How about we make a list of, of all the reasons why it will work, why it can work. Let's figure out how you can make time. Let's figure out how you can raise your kids and be phenomenal and make money and have all the time in the world to do all the things you want to do. We place those limitations on ourselves, which is a thought that translates into a feeling that manifests into our actions. But if the thought changes, then the actions will change around it. I'm feeling a book coming on uh, in your near future here. Just Everybody calling it here for shot call over here on, on my end. Here. Yeah, you heard it here. So Probably I'd like not. an autographed copy, please. I'll pay for it, <laughs> but I would like signature. Thanks. Um, well, first of all, thank you for dropping knowledge um, in the first half of this episode. Like, I think it's all a lot of philosophical mindset. And I want to transition a little bit to educational. We haven't talked much about stocks. And I know it's a burning, burning question for a lot of our listeners. So if you could go top level and then we'll just dive in. Can you give a brief overview of what a stock is and how the stock market works? Okay. So look at a stock like a box of pizza, right? So the stock is the pizza company. So let's just call it Ashley's Great Pizza Company, right? So we're going to call it Ashley's Pizza Company. So APC. APC is Ashley's Pizza Company, right? The stock is Ashley's Pizza Company. And you say, hey, I heard you got great pizza. And I know if I get a slice of your pizza and I hold on to it, I can sell it for a higher price because people really want your pizza, right? So I can say, cool, in order for you to own a slice of my pizza, which is called a share, um, it's going to cost you $20 per slice or $20 per share. You can own a million slices, you can own two. So if you own two, you got to get $40, right? So ultimately, you can have that pizza, you can hold it, and, or you can sell it, right? The higher the demand for my pizza, the higher that price is going to go. So literally, when you own stock in a company, you own a piece of the business. The reason why people don't, the reason why people like real estate versus stock is you can touch real estate. You can't touch a company, which is considered equity, because the bigger the company gets, the higher the value of your slice will get as well. So the more people want that slice, the higher the price goes. Now, the more the people don't want it, they're going to sell it and get rid of it, which drives the price down. Look at it like sneakers. You'll stand in line for a pair of Yeezys or a pair of Jordans, but then you'll, you'll stand in line for it or you'll go pay an, 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 uh, a more expensive price on the internet because the demand is high. But what do they do with corny sneakers in a sneaker store? What do they do with sneakers? That's corny. They, they, that's why they're $50 now. Right. right? They put them on sale because nobody yeah. wants them. The stock yeah. market works the exact same way. So the more people want the stock, the higher the price goes. And the less people want it, they sell it. And when, company, when people or companies sell a stock, the value of the price goes down. And so ultimately just look at it like I want to, so you, when you start to invest, you have to ask yourself like, if I could go into business with five companies right now and I had to hold on to this company for, for the next five years, what companies do I think will win right now? In all honesty, you don't need a stock guru. You don't need a textbook. You don't need anybody to tell you what companies are dominating and will still dominate. Like, will you invest in a taxi cab company? Absolutely not. Like, well, would you invest in a marijuana company? Probably because marijuana eventually is going to be legal. Therefore, the, the, when it becomes legal, companies get access to more capital. Companies can now sell it more. They make more money. So if you are on the forefront of owning a company before it gets big or a company before it gets bigger, 
then as again, your slice grows in value. So essentially you're making money in your sleep because you own a piece of a company that you don't run the company. You don't do anything. You just own it. And then as it grows, your net worth grows with it. So like literally if you would have invested in Amazon, like I have a, well, if somebody would have invested in Amazon for me when I was six to now seeing what Amazon, it took him a long time to get here, but he's not stopping. You get what I'm saying? Like you don't, we don't need a rocket scientist to know that Facebook, Amazon, and Apple dominate the world. Like I, I have an Apple iPhone. I have no desire to use Samsung. People still, even though they don't come out with anything new since Steve Jobs, they also have more cash in it than the government. They're also the first trillion dollar business in the world. I don't need anybody to tell me that if I wanted, I have an iPhone, had an iPhone for years, have no desire, don't see anybody surpassing Apple anytime soon. They're the largest value company in the world. What else do you need to know that, hey, maybe I should look into Apple. Maybe I should invest in Apple. Maybe Apple's less than $200 a share. Maybe it's possible for me to own Apple and, and just wait for Apple to grow and pay attention to the company because you can own stock in a company that's like that. So sometimes it's not always about finding that next up and coming company. It's literally looking around your house like, hey, what do you watch all day, every day? Like what technology do you use all the time? Who is your internet provider? Who is your cell phone provider? Even during the pandemic, like you had winners and you had losers. At the end of the day, grocery stores, winning right now. Technology companies, streaming companies, winning right now. We're on Zoom right now, winning. I bought Zoom at 142. I think the highest they, they, they got to was like close to 500. They dropped the other day because they uh they announced the vaccine. So investors are scared. Like Zoom's not going to have as many customers when the vaccine comes out. So just things like that you want to pay attention to because you can you can own stock in a company. You don't have to invest millions of dollars. Like I bought Zoom at $142 a share and now it's trading over 400. I got Zoom in April. It's now November. Yeah, that was one of the fastest. We were talking about Netflix the other day because when we were in college, we graduated right 2013. I was 2014 and I was talking about with our uh, some of my good friends and we're like in 2014, Netflix was a thing. Like it was definitely a thing and we were thinking about it. And now, I mean, it's just like that and Tesla in the last, right. I don't know That's the numbers, like, but, but Netflix in the last six years is like, you'd be, if you invested $10,000 back then, you'd be swimming in it right now. So right. it's like, I think that, that you, the advice you gave and the, the way you framed it is, is really, really smart. And it's better than what I've heard from a lot of people. So I appreciate the way that you framed it. I think that also what you said about, you don't have to go try to buy the next Amazon 30 years ago. It's not about trying to make, everyone wants to make, get rich quick, but right. the, the national or the average over the lifetime of stocks is like 11%. So if you do that in your twenties, and you invest in your 20s. When you're 60 years old, you're going to be you're going to be wealthy. And I think maybe people don't want to wait that long. I agree. That's why we invest in real estate. But there are a lot of ways to get in and make good returns just by making sound investments each month. I'm curious right. if you have a specific stock investing strategy that you would share with people who are in their 20s. Like is there a specific um, way that you approach it? So me personally, I'm more of a buy and hold kind of person. Right. Um, Zoom was a different type of play for me. Like Zoom was like, oh, I see what's happening. Nobody knows what's about to happen with this pandemic. They're new, but they're at the right place at the right time. I'm not going to dump a bunch of them. I think I bought like a few shares, but let me really see what happens. But typically I'm more, if I can't hold this company for 10 years, I don't buy it. I'm also a dividend investor. So dividends, look at a dividend like every quarter, most of the time every quarter, sometimes month, monthly. 
Companies, they make their money, they pay their expenses, and they have profits. They take a certain percentage of their profits and they give a shareholder a certain dollar amount. So, for example, AT&T is one of the highest paying dividend stocks, right? AT&T, for every share you own at AT&T, they give you $2.08 every year. So, AT&T stock is $30. But just because you invested one time for $30, you're going to get $2.08 every year. So, the way I look at dividend stocks are, it's like, oh, you guys are in real estate. So, if you Zoom is like buying a property in a neighborhood that soon will be gentrified. AT&T is like buying a property in the suburbs with a really good tenant that's not going to grow in value, but you're always going to get your cash flow, right? So for me, I'm, I'm, my goal, I want to get to a point where I want $10,000 coming in a month for every share that I own. But there's a lot of companies, but understand that dividends come from a company's profit. So if a company can take, if they're always profitable every quarter, like Disney pays $3 billion in dividends just to their shareholders every year. And that's the type of company they are. So if a company is consistently profitable and can consistently pay dividends, that's a way for you to also create cash flow. So like you said, you guys buy real estate, but not everybody has the capital to buy real estate. Not everybody has the desire to quit their job, start their business and lose everything. But not everybody also wants to wait until 60 to retire, right? There are ways if you have intention around what you do and you're consistent at what you do, that you can get to a point where your dividends can, can replace your monthly income if you start, and in the way I always look at it is, if you don't invest, what are your other options? You can keep working and hoping your job gives you a raise. You can save your way, but I can tell you right now, you put $30 in a savings account, you're not getting $2.08. You're lucky if you get a penny. So literally, like, starting to think about those more seasoned companies, who's paying me dividends, who's been paying dividends for years that can give me that consistent cash flow. So if I own two shares of AT&T, that means that I'm getting $4.16 every single year and if i and the, you can literally share your way to a point where at&t is giving you a thousand dollars a year and all you did was invest in a company you don't run at&t just so happens that they're the number one telecommunications company in the world on abc i mean on uh hbo on uh cnn like there's tons of companies they own but again they're the number one telecommunications in the world and i'm pretty sure you have at&t sprint or verizon as your provider and Verizon pays the dividend as well too. So sometimes for me, I go the dividend route because I want cash flow and I also want appreciation too. So I do want my stocks to grow like a Zoom, like an Amazon, but like I own stock in Apple, Apple pays the dividend too, but Apple stock grows a little bit. Like AT&T stock really doesn't move. Like no, they don't, they're literally, investors buy them for their dividend because you can, they're pretty consistent with it. They've been doing it for years. And so I have a dividend strategy approach and I also have a buy and hold approach but I also don't have time to like watch my stocks all day. Like for me, it's like, I want to double down. If I made like- You're not a day trader is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. want to, I don't have time to watch it, but I know if my Tesla stock, I made six grand off of Tesla and all I kept thinking, and I, I started with 300 and I'm literally like, what if I just did 600 then my 6,000 <laughs> would have been 12,000. So you can do that mind, all day long. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in my mind, it's like, I'm a share person. Like the more shares I can own, the bigger my return is going to be. Just like you guys, the more properties you own, the bigger your return is going to be. So I just double down on my properties. I just, and I focus on, I'm going to get one property this month. I'm going to get another property. And like, that's how I look at my shares. It's just a little more expensive. I mean, a little more cheaper to buy stocks than it is to buy an entire I got one. I'm biting at the video. I like, I, real quick, I like what you said about the, the alternative, like the scarcity mindset provides you with the alternative. So if you want to be, if you want to, to not educate yourself and, and just put it in a savings account, you just set yourself up for working to the rest of your life. So right, I, right. I think 
But to, well, to jump in on that too, it's, I'm thinking a lot of people, and I, once again, let's throw it out. I don't have time to do this, but I'm thinking of like, is there a way to hedge your bet in a way I'm kind of leading you on here, but essentially rather than buying one stock, can you buy a basket of funds? And what is that called? Uh, so you can, it can either be an ETF or a mutual fund. Um, I would probably go the ETF route. Mutual funds are typically what's in your 401k and your retirement plan. ETFs are a little bit cheaper to get into and the fees are less expensive. Typically mutual funds, you need at least two, three grand. Some of the best performing mutual funds have a minimum requirement. So if you don't have that 2000 3000 to start with a mutual fund, you can find an ETF. So for example, if you like tech companies, if you like uh, real estate companies, if you like consumer companies, there are consumer ETFs. There, like I own a marijuana ETF, like because I, I don't know which marijuana, but it's, it's comprised of multiple companies. So look at it like fantasy football, where the, 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 I don't know, I don't play fantasy football, but it's like fantasy football. <laughs> Should have used a different example. No, I'm, <laughs> I like where she's going. <laughs> People are going to pick on this. No, no, I, no, no, no I, but it's not, it's, I don't, what, whoever the person is that's picking the players in the team, that's how like an ETF and a mutual fund is ran. Got so it. the better the, 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 the the better the player performs, the higher the valuation. The worse the player performs, the lower the valuation or your score when it comes to that. And so just look at it like that. Or just look at it like a basketball team. If your player is not performing, you bench them. But if they keep not performing, you trade them and you swap them in for something else. So that's typically how ETFs and mutual funds are ran. The difference is a mutual fund, they trade their players daily. And ETF usually does it once a year. But, it, but the reason they do it once a year is why the fee is not as high for ETFs. Mutual funds, you're paying for an expert of which 96% of mutual funds don't outperform the stock market. Like you said, anywhere between that 9 to 11%, mutual funds try to beat the overall stock market, meaning all the stocks averaged together perform anywhere between 9 to 11%. Like that's, that's usually like around 10. And that's normal. Mutual funds say, hey, I can beat the stock market. But 96% of mutual funds don't ever beat the stock market. And you come out shorter because you're paying a higher fee for someone to manage that fund for you. But in all actuality, you honestly could do it yourself. Uh, but like you said, some people don't have that time. Or you can just say, hey, I just want to bank on the whole whole stock market and just buy the S&P 500. And you don't have to do the research. You're just banking on the U.S. stock market, um, which has its ups and downs, but over the past hundred years has come out on top. Yeah. So if someone wanted to get started right now, where would you direct them to open an account? And how should they educate themselves before diving all the way in? Um. So if someone came to me, the first thing I would say, you need to join our Wealth Builders community. Um, so what was that? I'm sorry. <laughs> our, wealth builders, our Wealth Builders community, one, Got because it. I can sit here and tell you what account to open, but you're, you're, once you get the account, it's like you don't know what to put in the account. And I think that's always the biggest thing. What account do I use? Like, okay, cool. You actually should know what you should put in the account before you even actually get the account. Uh, but I always recommend, we have like a beginner investors room for our annual members in our community, where it's literally like a five-step process. This is where you start. This is where you finish get you to a point where you understand what a stock is, how it works, what account to choose, how to open the account, how to process a transaction, how to research the, the investment to get you to a point where you're starting to understand the news and the investments associated with, I mean, the ideas and the strategy around how you're going to invest. Because it's not hard. I've literally helped thousands of people um, become investors from start to finish. Um, but I would say nowadays, all these accounts are the same. Look at like a brokerage account, which is the account that you need like a car, like a car's job is to get you from point A to point B. Now you got different brands, you have different features in the car. So they all may have different features, but they all do the same thing. So ideally you need a brokerage account. Um, I would personally say if you're starting with 
less than $200 a month, I would recommend a company like Stockpile because Stockpile, if we go back to the pizza example. So let's just say I say, hey, we're going back to Ashley's Great Pizza. Um, each slice is $20, but you come to me and say, darn, I only have 10. So what I would do is cut the pizza in half and you get a half of the slice. So Stockpile lets you get a fractional share. And I, I recommend that for kids because like it's phenomenal for kids. It's, it's less words and more colors and pictures. So it's a lot easier to use. Um, companies like Robinhood are good, TD Ameritrade. I personally use E-Trade. Um, but I think all of these companies, especially the ones you've heard of that are, are always in the news, are great for you to start, but not the best for you to finish. So like when you think about billionaires and millionaires, they're not using Robinhood. They're not using Stockpile. They're using your more seasoned E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, things like that, things like that, because they offer more features and they've just been around longer. Robinhood and companies like Stockpile are designed for that beginner investor. So while Robinhood, I actually was watching an article, watching TV on CNBC, Robinhood has way more users. They're growing faster than like the older companies, but the average balance in their account is 5,000 versus 50,000 or 100,000 that's in the E-Trade or TD Ameritrade. So the dip, there, there's a different caliber of people that use Robinhood but it's in to invest now. It's trendy to invest now. Beginners are wanting to do it. That's why Robinhood is dominating the industry because they're kind of that disruptor that came in and said, hey, you guys don't target beginner investors. You target those older, the older crowd who have a lot of money. Um, let's start uh, intervening and, and figure out how we can find a way for the everyday person to learn how to invest in the stock market. Um, but I definitely, would, I definitely would start there. And then the other thing I would say, make your list of companies you would own. Like literally ask yourself like, who do I want to invest in over the next five to 10 years? And just look around your house, like, and then you would then do your research. So you may think that everyone drives, everyone drives or rides an Uber or Lyft, but Uber and Lyft have never been profitable. So just because it sounds cool, you also want to make sure these companies are profitable. Because again, you wouldn't want to invest in your friend's company knowing that every quarter they're not producing any money and they're in the red. So make your list, not just buy what's exciting or what's trendy, but really think about who do I think is going to change the game? What, like, like you guys said, back in Netflix, I was reading uh, 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 Bob Iger's book, who's a, who's a former CEO of Disney. They were planning on competing with the Netflix because they saw where the, the TV industry was going. So they knew it was shifting. We didn't pay attention to it, but eventually all these companies knew that streaming was the way. Like they knew that. So you would have known that companies like Netflix could dominate. And then now, now there was a Netflix and now everybody has a streaming platform. Their cable is outdated now, you know? So really think what's shifting, what's changing. How, what, how are we learning? Like everything's virtual now. Like you think we're just going to go back and go back to normal life. So it's really following the trends and seeing over the next five to 10 years, what will shift. So where does one follow the trends and essentially research what stocks are currently killing it versus what wants to avoid essentially, you know, I know there's gotta well, be some sort of educational platform. So there's yes and no. So just as somebody's like, just cause somebody's killing it today, that doesn't mean they're going to be killing it tomorrow. I literally look at the stock market, like high school, like one day they love you. Next day you're popular. Next day they hate you. Like one day we love Snapchat. Next day they're freaking horrible. So I would say you want to pay attention to the news because headlines are what, what moves, what moves stock prices. Now, companies only report financials four times a year, yet stock prices move every day, Monday through Friday. So I would say following like CNBC, CNN. Um, I think also too, times like now is earnings season, and this is when companies start to report their numbers. 
you want to know who's profitable, who's been losing money, who's been making money. But I definitely would say the biggest thing is following the news because no matter where you learn about investing, the news is what moves emotions. Like one day, I'll give you a prime example. The stock market went crazy where when Pfizer said that there's like a 90% chance that this vaccine is going to change the game, Zoom went down, uh, is a Peloton, like they, like they went down. All, all the, the at-home. All yes, the at home. all the yeah. stocks dropped, but then everything else rose. Airline, like, it, and again, but one day they hated airlines. Oh my gosh, airlines are good now. Like, it, mm. it, it's really based off of emotion. So one, you can't, you got to be cognizant of what the news is saying, but you can't operate off of emotion. Because when everybody got scared during the pandemic, that's when I spent the most money because I saw that as an opportunity. Like, the stock market is the only time something goes on sale and we run from it. When we see red in a store and we see sale, we look at it as time to buy. When we see red in the stock market, all hell breaks loose and we just think the whole world is falling apart. When in all actuality, Nike had an 82% rise in online sales during a time where America had no jobs and we were suffering from a global pandemic. People were still spending money and for some reason we were spending money on Nikes. But, but again, just because the, the news sounds horrible, that doesn't mean the world is falling apart. The biggest wealth transfer happened this year, like literally happened this year. So I don't know why I'm up over 100%, but it's tons of people who are unemployed. Like where's the disparity in the world? Because billionaires got richer. The day that, um, the day that, um, they, uh, the day that during the election and that whole process, literally the richest men in the world made $28 billion just from the idea of Biden possibly going into office. No one knew because it was, it was like literally the second day after the election, all these tech companies made money and Bezos just made like 10 billion because he sold his stock and then Biden gets elected. And then, you know, like, so it's all based off of emotion. So the easiest way to learn about investing is to see what happens in the world and how it impacts companies you invest. But it's a lot easier to pay attention when your money's in the game. It's different when you're watching the game, and it's different when you're a player in the game. You take it a little bit seriously. So you'll care about Zoom, one, if you're a customer, but two, if you own stock in Zoom. So you'll want to pay attention. If you're actually an investor, that makes sense. So I want to touch on one one last thing on my end, but Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about real estate on the podcast. And if I'm not mistaken, you invest in real estate in a different way. Can you explain what a REIT is and why you invest in them? Um, funny, we're actually literally like that. That has been our biggest um, course that we've created and literally just pushing people to come re uh, So a REIT is a real estate investment trust. And the reason why I invest in REITs is because if I run a business right now and I have $100,000, I don't have the capital to put into a property right now. I need that money to put back into my business to grow my business, right? I also don't want to go ask the bank for money I also, it, it's just a lot when you run a business because you being able to show how much money you make versus paying a lot of taxes. There's just a lot of pieces of an entrepreneur using the bank to purchase real estate. One, I also travel all over the world. I want to move to New York. I got a place in Philly. I'm not at a point where I want a big old house, a stable family. I move a lot. So I would buy a property as an investment property, but cash flow right now has to go back into my business. Also being people who are working professionals, they don't, may not have the credit score. They may not have the thousands of dollars to be able to put into a property, but everybody wants to invest in real estate. And so a REIT is essentially you owning stock in a, in a company that builds man- and manages and operates a commercial property. So for example, Simon Properties is the number one, number one mall operator in the world. So whether you're going to King of Prussia Mall or Lenox Mall in Atlanta, literally it's 
probably no mall in a major city that is not owned by Simon. So what happens is, is all the stores and all the tenants of Simon, they pay Simon rent, right? So what happens is 90% of them, the, the, the money that REITs are making has to go to their shareholders and dividends. So remember, dividend before is a company taking their profits and they choose to pay a dividend. REITs by law have to pay dividend because they're exempt from corporate taxes. So every time Simon collects rental income as a shareholder of Simon, I collect, I collect dividends and REITs pay higher dividends than your typical corporate company. So another thing, like when you use your phone and you're, and you're saving all your pictures or Google, Google, Amazon, Facebook, all of this data that's roaming the streets are stored in data centers. Data centers are stored into REITs, hospitals, apartment buildings, office buildings. Typically, there's probably no building in your skyline that is not owned either by a private investor or a REIT. So you guys are considered private investors, but there are real estate investment trusts that own a lot of buildings in the Philadelphia skyline, and you can own stock in that company. And every quarter or every month, they're paying you a dividend. So like, for example, I own REITs that own hotels, right? So every time, the, most hotels don't own the building. The REIT owns the building and the hotel is a tenant, and they have to pay out they have to pay out um, their income in dividends, in the form of dividends. So the more shares you own of the REIT, the more um, cash flow that you can create. So for me, because my audience isn't that person that makes $25 million or more, my audience are the individuals who want to build wealth but have the mental barrier that I can't do it. I don't have good credit. I don't have a lot of money. They're creating all of those narratives of why they can't do it. Now I show you there's no reason why you can't buy real estate. Hey, you don't need a lot of money. Hey, you don't need credit. And you definitely don't have to manage the property. All you do is just collect the cash flow. And the more um, you invest and the more shares you own, the higher your dividend will be. Like right now, Simon pays me like over $100 like on a passive basis. And I, I own a few shares, but the more shares I own of Simon, the more my dividend will be to get me to a point. These malls can be paying me $500 every quarter because I just own stock. I don't run the mall. I don't manage the mall. I may shop in the mall. Um, malls are also suffering right now, but it's also seeing how is Simon going to take all this real estate they own. Like they just, they're about to buy JCPenney's. They just bought Lucky Brands. Like they're buying these, this real estate, but they're also now about to put um, Amazon's uh, uh, fulfillment centers in these malls, right? Yeah. So now Amazon is going to be a tenant of Simon. So when Amazon pays their rent, Simon has to pay out the, their income in the form of dividends to all their shareholders. So it's just another way for you to own commercial property without having to build the building, manage the building, have the great credit. You let these companies run all these properties, make sure they're strong institutions. They've been doing this for a while and just make sure those dividends keep coming. And it's a way for you to create passive income, but still have your job, still do whatever it is you want to do, but still create income. So, Basically, if you have a brokerage account, you can invest in a REIT as well as yep. stocks. You just manage everything mm -hmm. on that one kind of platform. Correct. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, man. That was... Uh... Corey said, looks like it's spinning. Yeah, no. Dude, that was some knowledge. Today. No, that was great. I really was. I, I think um, we want to move into like kind of the final segment. Um, mm -hmm. I guess I want to know, Ashley, where, where you see your business going in the next, I don't know, three to five years or five to 10 years. You've... You've done a lot. What's next for you? Um, so I think the biggest thing is expanding our, our, our app. I want to get to a point where we're reaching hundreds of thousands of people, um, building out the infrastructure where you come in, get the tools and resources that you need. But I think the biggest thing about our wealth for this community is you're around like-minded people. 
So it's not just about, hey, I'm learning about money. I'm now surrounded by people who are on the same journey as me and I can get access to them. Turning our wealth with this community, not only just in, from a technology platform, but also an actual experience where we start having retreats. We start having different regions within different parts of the world because we have people from all over the world, but we want to be able to, we want to be able to connect these resources. Also turning our community into an entrepreneurship hub where not only are we showing you how to manage the money you have, but we're now using the network of people to become your customers. We're now using our resources to help you build that business, to help you create that idea so we can help you put money in your pocket. Um, but ultimately, Empify will be both a brick and mortar and online platform. So you'll be able to go get financial education by walking into an Empify building. That's great. You'll also be able to get access to financial education in the palm of your hand. Um, but I think that's huge, by the way. Just I don't mean to cut you off. Just because I think a lot of people who put their money in places, they really want to touch and feel a, a representative and somebody who's like they can look in the eye. So I think that that's the even though the brick and mortar is kind of like going the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. I think it still is important, especially for the financial uh, yeah, it's, it's more emotional than it is financial. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then from a kid perspective, building our curriculum that makes financial education a standard. So one of the things that I think has worked for us is it's not just a financial education class that we put in schools. We help move kids test scores. So we can put financial education and replace a math course, get these kids to pass these exams, but also able to learn financial education at the same time. So being able to put financial education into a school system. So that is not just, hey, we want this program. We have to have this program because we can prove we can move the needle in the school system. Um, and then ultimately turn the technology um, into a space where we can teach kids financial education. That's, that's something that is a totally different ball game. Financially educating an adult, having them sit and watch classes, but building, building those tools and resources so much that it'll be like you're watching Sesame Street, but a kid is watching it, but it's also financial education that they're learning, but they can access it in the palm of their hand. So being able to do that but I ultimately just want to get us to a point where you think of financial education or you want your child to learn how to manage money or invest or you as a family want to do it. The first company you think of is Empify and you can access it through technology or walk around a corner just as fast as you can see at McDonald's. There's a place for you to learn how to build wealth. Um, and we're also aligned with organizations, with companies, with banks to be able to amplify that experience. Um, I don't want to be a bank myself, but there are tools and resources that banks offer but not all banks can reach the people that we can serve in a way that they feel comfortable enough to utilize the products and services that banks offer. So ultimately to get into that point, I want to build, I want to move Empify and have the entire headquarters in New York. So that will be happening. And so move my team out of New York. Um, and I have an actual residence in New York in my beautiful apartment in Lincoln Square. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. That's great. That was incredible. I, I have no doubt in my mind that you'll get there. So I That's think great. there's such a market for it too. I mean, yeah. there's just things that I personally wish I learned at a younger age. And I think to teach kids that to teach somebody who's 11, even that's, you know, 10 years old. If I, if I knew what we, I mean, we might be Bezos right now. If I knew that when I was 10, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking like, if you ask any parent or anyone that could go back to school and say, what, what's what missing? Did they lo- what, what did, did they you not, not learn? Yeah. It's that. Right. So like taxes. Nobody know nobody knows how to do right. any of the real life things that matter from school. And it's just <laughs> you said something in the beginning of the episode. What does school teach you? Oh, Education. How, to, how to go to school to get a job and how to get a job to pay for school. Yes. Yeah. So like, come on. Yeah. Um so we've reached the last segment of the show. It's the last drop. So we're we're almost wrapped up here. I have a question for you. You you've fed us plenty of knowledge. So um this one is going to be, it might be kind of difficult to pick one thing, but what has been the most impactful resource that has helped you in your quest towards financial freedom that someone may be able to implement in their own life? 
um, resource. So yeah, like a yeah, it can be a an app, a <laughs> podcast, a, a book, something of that nature. Um. So I can't just give one book. I can give you top five. Let's let's hear uh, whatever you feel. Yeah, it's, you it can, would be it would be so Ashley. <laughs> if you gave us five. Hit us with five. <laughs> um, okay, so I think the Awakened Millionaire by Joe Vitale. Uh, Never heard of that actually. That's all, okay. Cool. Yeah, it's really good. Um, the Seat of the Soul by Gary Zukov. Um. A Return to Love by Marion Williamson. So these are all like my finance books. But it got me to a but mindset to right? open my eyes to obtain money. Um, As a Man Thinketh. And this is a tough one. Lucky number five. I know. I would say Asking It Is Given by Abraham Hicks. I'm like are, an Abraham, all Abraham five of these have not been um, shared on our, on our platform. So I think that's awesome. I, I haven't yeah. read any of them. Have nope. Uh, no, nope. but the first one's jumping out at me. Yeah. Um, uh, can you say that one again? I'm yeah, sorry. Your first one, the millionaire. Oh, oh, I have another one. Here's a good money book, but it has nothing to do with money, but it really trip you up. Um, the Secrets of a Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Ecker. That book is phenomenal. That is like oh. the ultimate money, make you realize how jacked up our thoughts are around money to make you really have a different perspective. That's God, a really, really, really good. But the Awakened the- Millionaire is um, still on the same wavelength. He just... The secret of making their mind, he'll like, he'll throw it at you like, ooh, that hurt. I really say that to myself. And it just, it just makes you like think about, wow, I really say that to myself. I really think that. Um, the Awakened Millionaire is more, it's calmer, but it opens your eyes to like different exercises that you can do that you'll realize are actually uncomfortable. Uh, but it's really like a, a really, really, really good eye opener. That's perfect. We'll, we'll toss them up on our Instagram as a recommendation as well. So, yeah. um, well, Ashley, from both of us, we truly thank you. It was an honor to have you on the show. I, for me, I'll, I'll just say I've learned so much this episode where yeah, I think true. I just got a free finance financial education <laughs> course. So thank you very much. Uh, I think our listeners are going to be very thrilled with um, spending the time today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And if, if, there's, um, if our listeners are interested in joining your platform or learning more about you specifically, how, what's the best way to get in touch with you? And you can, obviously you've talked a little bit about your app, but if you want to talk about Empify and um, yeah, just so where people can find for it. For the app specifically, you can go to wealthbuilderscommunity.com. Um, our website is empify.com. I'm on social media. I am underscore at, sorry, underscore Ashley M Fox. And you can also go to wealthbuilderscommunity to, to see our, uh, our app page too as well.